Conference of Champions rolls on. No truck stops here. We are the Pac-12. We are the best of the best. Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. Here with me today is Greg. What's up? And Matt Hubertson. Is, is, is it over? Is, are we done? <laughs> it's over. It's over. Are we done? Our penultimate, our penultimate uh, episode of the season. Um, Grapes is going to join us next week for our finale. Um, but we're just going to talk about the end of the basketball season, how that went, because it's over now. The Pac-12 basketball season is done. Arizona and UCLA flame out in the Sweet 16 on back-to-back nights. Uh, wildly disappointing for the conference, for both of those teams uh, and those coaches and those fan bases. A lot to talk about. We'll talk about Arizona's loss to Houston in that game and how everyone looked and what their season meant. But let's just get right into it. Let's just talk about UCLA first. Um, They had the most recent game. We're recording this on Saturday, March 26th. Uh, Watched UCLA lose to North Carolina 73-66 to in Philadelphia getting them out of the Sweet 16. North Carolina advances to play St. Peter's on the other side of that bracket. Uh, Greg, I got a, I got a clip from you that I'm going to pull, by the way. Uh, oh, God. What did I say? <laughs> uh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But Oh, God, no. But let's talk about let's talk about UCLA. UCLA losing this game here late, despite the fact that they controlled much of it. Uh, a lot of discourse around this UCLA team and what they were this year, just as there was around Arizona. Uh, Matthew Bertson, did you watch this game? Of course. And uh, These questions which... are really getting offensive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know with you. But what did you think about this game? Did you have any immediate observations, things that stuck out to you as, uh, for, for why UCLA lost? Largest takeaway from this game, I'm not going to hear another word. About, not that I ever was, but I'm not going to hear another word about Bill Walton. You're just getting an auto block if you talk shit on him. Um, if I heard one more goddamn motherfucking love pun out of this broadcast. They were corny. They were so it was corny. so bad. It was like, and he would pause before each one too. He's like, yeah, it's, it's coming again. I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> was that, who was on call? Was that uh I don't give a Ian shit. Ian Eagle? No, it wasn't no, Ian Eagle. No, Ian Eagle would never be that He would bad. never do that, no. No, he's too good I, for that. I honestly have no idea. It might have been. It was him. that Brian really Peterson know. guy or whatever his name was. Um, truck stops. Um, truck stops. So the, I definitely, this was, it was it, obviously, you know, that we're going to get into all of basically your entire Twitter timeline um, <laughs> about, <laughs> about whether or not like we need to talk about Matt Cronin or not. Um, but. I I think that there was definitely a bit of a glaring um, that just the Pac-12 isn't quite there. I, I genuinely think that what UCLA and Arizona have done is, is fantastic, and I definitely think that we, in the same way that I think that we're expecting USC football to immediately compete for national championships this year, that these things do take when, when you are it, – it is not as plug-and-play with a blue blood as we would like to believe that it is – specifically when you know once you are playing it's really hard for it to go away and so um you know or it's really easy to maintain um you know saving it still took a couple years it's it's taking a couple years and in a situation where you run up against a talent like love and against a team like north carolina that say what you want about the seating like that that's going to be one of the most talented teams in the in the nation every year it's just how it is it's it's what it's going to be like when you're playing the alabamas or the lsus of football you and flsu is four and eight looking at you again ucla um and so <laughs> I eight I just, and four by the way just letting you know that go? who lsu oh i thought you meant ucla no they made a bowl game did LSU, LSU really? LSU oh, made yeah. a bowl game. Didn't know At that. At four mm-hmm. and eight, incredible. Truck stop. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, it's just it. It's getting there for sure, and it's. I mean, I think that the Arizona game was far more disappointing because I think that, I think that we've kind of accepted that. Like, okay, we we came into the season thinking that Johnny Juzang was the guy, 
not so much as as we've gone throughout this season and so it kind of just felt like UCLA just didn't have that guy specifically at the close see I okay disclaimer I was I didn't watch the game because I have a job and so I was only able to listen to the game (laughs) what are you trying to say Greg (laughs) I'm trying to say that you should delete your fucking account and get a job um yeah, I was only able to to listen to the game. From the sounds of things, UCLA not having the horses was not the was not the issue. UCLA had the players to get that done. The issue was which of the players were on the court. Like I just Cody Riley. What are we doing here? Yeah. Peyton Watson, Jalen Clark. What are we doing here? On the like on the other side of the spectrum. Both of those players are hugely impactful and they didn't get nearly enough run and i just like ucla's loss was so frustrating to me because they had a path to the final four a very easy path to the final four they were the better i like i believe they were the better team in this game and mccronan actively sabotaged them yeah 100 percent. i have so many fucking thoughts about this uh ucla game Many of which I've expressed uh, on Twitter, as Matthew Richardson alluded to. But the primary one is that uh, UCLA controlled the vast majority of this game. Uh, and there were some very obvious things about the way this game unfolded that made me very clearly believe that UCLA was the better team. Um, but they played as if they had a seven-man rotation the way that North, Car- North Carolina actually did only play seven guys that game. Uh, their bench got 15 minutes uh, last night against North Car- uh, against UCLA. UCLA played Miles Johnson and Jalen Clark a combined 17 minutes. Those two those two guys are tops on the team in terms of box plus minus advanced stats. All of those things. Um, they are their most important players. I think. Uh, I, I think we can, aside from Jaime Jaquez, I think we can very comfortably say that those players are critical to what UCLA does. In terms of win shares per 40 minutes, Jalen Clark is two, Miles Johnson is five for this for this UCLA team. Uh, and Cody Riley is eighth. Uh, look, the, the big thing, number one, is that if Miles Johnson plays, uh, if, if Miles Johnson and Cody Riley swap minutes, Miles Johnson plays 25 while Cody Riley plays 12, UCLA wins this game, probably comfortably. Uh, the box plus minus stats and the offensive rating and defensive rating stats uh, are insanely clear and stark. In Cody Riley's 25 minutes, if you've never heard of offensive rating before, it, you might have heard of points per possession before. They're the same thing, pretty much. Just how many points is uh, is the team scoring um, relative to 100 possessions? So uh, an offensive rating of 100 means that you're scoring one point per possession for 100 possessions. Uh, Cody Riley had an offensive rating of 66 uh, and a defensive rating of 110, meaning UCLA, while he was on the floor, gave up 1.1 points per per possession or 110 points per 100 possessions. Miles Johnson had an offensive rating of 205 (laughs) to to Cody Riley's 66 and a defensive rating of 100 to Cody Riley's 110. Uh, box plus minus 16.1 uh, more points per possession. Cody Riley literally uh, added an additional zero. Like he his box plus minus was 0.0, over 100 possessions. Uh, brutal shit. Uh, and this was something that UCLA fans, we on this goddamn podcast have been talking about for months, probably since January, probably since Cody Riley came back from his injury, that Miles Johnson had clearly figured something out, was clearly the better player, was better on defending the perimeter, was better down low defensively, was better offensively because he was setting screens, he could create extra possessions through offensive rebounds, and he could run at the rim, and he was a threat to run at the rim. Cody Riley is none of those things, wasn't any of those things. And not to pile on Cody Riley at all, uh, Mick Cronin, this is all Mick Cronin's doing here. Um, his His rotations, I think, are... They have left much to be desired. Uh, that's true for, two, honestly, his the last two years of the McCronin era in 2021. Similar narratives and discourses here. Uh, Johnny Juzang, it was last year he was the one who got a lot of minutes, and that ended up working out in the tournament, and he got super hot. 
Uh, and Cody Riley against uh, what was their backup big man named J- Jalen Hill uh, in 2021. Um, similar, by the way, advanced stats, uh, basic metrics had Jalen Hill as a better, more efficient player than Cody Watching Riley. Watching UCLA, you could see Jalen Hill just made them look much better. Of course, in the tournament, Cody Riley got a lot better, so it was hard to argue with it then. Well, and Jalen but... Hill left the team, right? So uh, Mick Cronin did not. It got a little bit masked because Mick Cronin didn't have a Jalen Hill to go back on so that we could see, oh, shit, hey, this Jalen Hill guy. Uh, he should be getting more minutes. He wasn't around. He left the program, you know, kind of late in that season before the before the po- any postseason games happened. So, anyway, uh, this was an entirely preventable loss. UCLA. It was not uh, one of those games where people love to say Caleb Love got hot for North Carolina, and in some ways he did. But the vast majority of those shots from three, uh, Cody Riley was guarding him because North Carolina knew uh, that they could go out Cody Cody Riley over and over again. They were doing and. And this happens every time Cody Riley is on the floor. Every team does this. They are hunting Cody Riley every goddamn time. Um, they are pulling in. Uh, they're trying to set a screen so that they can get the switch. So Cody Riley has to get out onto the perimeter. UCLA had tried late in that game to get Cody Riley to uh, fall back so that he didn't get caught in those situations. But frequently it didn't work because North Carolina was just hunting it over and over again. And they burned him. Cody Riley, all season, has not been able to step out onto the perimeter uh, to try to contest those shots, make them difficult. Miles Johnson has. Uh, he Just his length uh, creates some of the forces those shots to be adjusted, getting a higher arc on those shots to be able to shoot over Miles Johnson, who has much more length, is taller, is bigger. Um, so, anyway, an entirely preventable loss. A damn shame. Uh, this bracket was shaping up to be something for UCLA to get back to the Final Four. Like we said, St. Peter's ended up beating Purdue, uh, So, and that would have been UCLA's Elite Eight opponent. I get that St. Peter's got here because they play well, um, and I'm not going to discount them, despite the fact that I got on uh, old takes exposed for my uh, my tweet about how UCLA was going to sleepwalk into uh, Final Four. But anyway, that's my... Uh, that's that's what I have right now. I don't think I don't think it was a horses thing. I don't think it right that UCLA wasn't as talented as North Carolina. It was none of that. It was one very entirely preventable um thing that Mick Cronin has fucked up on. That something he's that that's something that he's also fucked up on all season, frankly. Yeah, like I think UCLA was ready for this. Like they were ready to go back to the final four. They were good enough to do it. And they didn't not because, like, they needed more time, but because, you know, just <laughs> coaching errors. Yeah. And uh, that, I think, is much, much more frustrating than uh, it just being too early. And uh, I also don't think it was too early for Arizona. I think they were good enough, and they just didn't get there because they were soft. Yeah. We'll hold off on Arizona for a second. Is there anything more about UCLA or any other things about the UCLA-North Carolina game? I mean, I don't want to be too harsh here, but all I heard in that entire uh, explanation that you just gave is the exact, like, word for word, what I hear from jazz fans every year talking about Rudy Gobert. Like, I totally hear you that those are really great stats and that he is absolutely more effective when it comes to playing on the perimeter and everything like that. That's great. And it's not even to sit here and say that that love, you know, was was any sort of because I I do think that like you put Peyton Watson out there, you put Clark out there, you're going to get significantly better defense on love. I also just think that there's an aspect of it of just you didn't have the best player on the floor that night and that it, it can it really can be that simple in this game. Well, I think the problem here was you didn't have the best player on the floor. You can overcome that. You can overcome that if you also have the worst player on the floor. And that's what you feel <laughs> they had with point. Cody Riley. Yeah. And if you just put a replacement level player there, doesn't have to like even if Miles Johnson hadn't been incredible that game, you win that game. Just because, at the very least, even if Caleb Love is shooting like that, offensively, you're so much better. Because a 66 offensive rating is terrible. And while that is also team specific, like, that rating doesn't measure what Cody Riley himself did. It measures what the team did while he was on the floor. It's pretty representative of the difference between him and Miles Johnson because North Carolina only played a seven man rotation. 
And so you were playing pretty much the same team in both of those minutes, like in both Cody Riley's and Miles Johnson's minutes. And UCLA starters, like, I think Jaime Hawkes played 48 minutes. I think Tiger Campbell, yeah. I mean, yeah, not 48, <laughs> 38 minutes, like all the other guys. They were up and down. It was 38, 39. So yeah, yeah it's 39 for Tiger, 39 for Johnny Juzang, 38 for Jules Bernard, 38 for Jaime Hawkes. Insane. So they were playing with when basically they... the same team. And the difference between that team when Cody Riley was on the floor and when Miles Johnson was on the floor was fucking massive. And you just replace Cody Riley with an average player. Yeah. And I think that's enough to overcome Caleb Love. You just can't have the worst player on the floor and also not have the best player on the floor if you want to win a game. In yeah, crucial I'm minutes, way, by the way. I'm simply way too much of a jaded jazz fan to hear this conversation. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's as if I've, I've seen Gobert... the jazz get dog walked by the uh, James Harden uh, Houston Rockets one too many times. Here's the thing. It, it, the, the equivalent here is if uh, Rudy Gobert was like, six inches shorter and way worse at everything um that he does <laughs> you, oh, well yeah you can't even compare it because like yeah cody because the mile it would make sense rudy if gobert's Miles never Johnson, the worst player on the floor he's just not good enough to make your team and and in those situations it's like in a seven game series i think if this is if if the nba playoffs were like a, a one and done situation Jazz might have a title or two because really the issue the is, variance. you yeah. know, it's it's Rudy Gobert in a single game when you don't get to figure out and scheme in a game two, three, four, five, six, and seven. When you don't get to scheme those things, it's really hard to put Rudy Gobert at a position the way that teams constantly do late in series. Um, my, that was not going to happen this game. They were not going to be able to figure out in game how they were going to completely take Miles Johnson out of the game unless Miles Johnson was not going to be there. He was there. Um, he was in the game. He was focused. He was locked in, and he was providing the things that he always does. Um, but you know, I, that's I, I'd love to say that there are other things about this game that I think uh, <laughs> that I think UCLA could have done well. Frankly, that that feels like the biggest one. That feels very, very, very obviously like the biggest one. Johnny Juzang did not have a great game. He was brutal. I, if you want the other, the wing version of the Miles Johnson, Cody Riley discussion, it's Johnny Juzang and Jalen Clark. Jalen Clark probably should have got a lot more minutes. Probably should, J, Johnny Juzang should not have gotten 39 minutes. Jalen Clark should have gotten way more than five minutes. A guy that I think people thought, this is maybe the best player on the team for a couple of weeks there. And by advanced metrics and just the number of uh, minutes that he's out there is one of their three best players, if not their second best player behind Jaime Hawkes. Insane stuff. It's nuts. Um, and this was just more stubbornness from McCronin. Go ahead, Greg. That one I think is more defensible because we have seen what Johnny Juzang can That's do fair. when he's at his best. We can, we, like, we've seen how impactful that can be. And so like, I understand leaving him out there. I don't think it was the right move. Didn't think it was the right move during the game, but I understand it. I don't think that one's indefensible. Cody Riley, there's just zero reason to have him out there other than stubbornness. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we know what he is. We know what he is, and what he is was not going to win UCLA that game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let me be clear. I'm I'm definitely not saying that, like, y'all are wrong about that decision. I'm more just saying as far as impact of the game and whether or not that actually would have turned mm -hmm. the score. Yeah, um, I mean, and we, won't, I, I we, just, we don't in, know. I am yeah. all in on Mick Cronin's seat warming up a little bit this next year. I mean, I don't think it will warm uh, up, and I don't want to. And I don't want to put I'm, that out I'm there. And, it should. <laughs> I don't want to put we, that out there. We drive the coaching conversation here, Carlos. <laughs> that's and true. Oh, yeah, that's true. right. <laughs> Mick Cronin might be retiring next year, guys. Let's start that. <laughs> Uh, look, okay, let's move on to talk about, uh, you know, UCLA season, the Mick Cronin era. Um, go, you go ahead, Matt, because you're the one who brought it up. You think Mick Cronin's seat sh should warm up next season? I think it's something, it, it's not anything that, I think it's more at the end of the season that I'm saying this. I do think that there is a certain amount of just, it, UCLA has so much looked like a the blue blood that it is. And so much looked, they've genuinely looked like a really scary team, came into the season ranked number two, spent the whole season ranked in the top 10. Um, this was undoubtedly a really, really good team that never looked like a championship team in any way, shape or form, and debatably never even looked like the best team in the conference. Um, Cronin has not won a, a, a Pac-12 championship, either regular season or in the tournament. 
And he also, I mean, the final four run was great and I'm in no way, shape or form going to, uh, disparage that at all. But I do think that there's just, there's aspects of it where when you follow it up with this sort of a tournament run where didn't look dominant in any of the early games, seating excuses, whatever, um, there's just, there, there's just something to look at of just, this is interesting because I very much so view that he has elevated the program. And at the same time, it's like, well, there's also, it hasn't exactly brought in any hardware though. So where does this go? Yeah. So, uh, with Mick Cronin, uh, I totally, I feel, I think the same way as you do. I don't know that I'd phrase it the same way. Uh, I agree. He's elevated the program at the same time. We've seen over the last few years, the limitations that he has next year is going to be a, uh, great test of that michael hannah on twitter uh said like if he coaches the same way he did this year with in terms of his rotations where like riding or or dying with the veterans it's going to be killer for ucla's recruiting next year because they are bringing in some fantastic young talent namely amari bailey five-star point guard you gotta you gotta let that kid cook like you can't be playing him like you played Peyton Watson this year if you want to keep recruiting. And so the way I see it is next year, if he displays the same flaws as he had this year and last year, then his seat gets hot going into like the year after that. Like If he stays the same coach he is now over the next year, <laughs> then the year after that, I think his seat warms up. But for now, I think he is uh, very secure, if that makes is- sense. Is Carlos, I want you to like run with this. Is am I reading too much into the suit thing? Like I feel like the suit wearing a suit is so unbelievably forward facing and such an example and like confirmation of this dude's too rigid. I don't know that this dude can actually be successful in modern day college basketball. Here's the Doesn't thing. Doesn't Jay Wright wear a suit? <laughs> Never Fair heard boy. of him. Don't know who that is. <laughs> he's a, he's a coach for Villanova. Uh <laughs> Uh, look, it, like so, you're in a three piece on the damn sideline. Like, I <laughs> look, that's just me. Honestly, uh, I don't, I don't blame him. Uh, there's one person that everyone considers one of the best dressed coaches in all of college basketball. It's always Mick Cronin. Uh, he's the one that everybody points to. As, uh, yeah, Hang I mean, he the banner. <laughs> uh, here, do I? Th- I think it's hard to figure out if Mick Cronin is too rigid. Like, it's it's hard to figure that out because I think. What we saw in the final four run was a tremendous amount of flexibility that I don't think UCLA ever saw from previous coaches that were successful, except I guess, I don't know. I don't know. At least, at least uh, through the Ben Howland era, um, an amount of flexibility and amount of commitment to scouting the other team that I think we didn't see during, we just haven't seen in a while for UCLA in that final four run this year. I think we saw some stubbornness. I think we saw a little bit too much loyalty to the team that got him to the final four, particularly the lineup that got him to the final four, which was Tiger Campbell, Johnny Juzang, Jules Bernard, Jaime Hawkins, Cody Riley, uh, and a lot of trust in Cody Riley in particular, and not enough trust in miles Johnson, Jalen Clark, Peyton Watson. Um, I think that, uh, so I, I'm not going to say that he's going to be on a hot seat in the next year or two. First of all, he signed a six year contract extension. Um, so UCLA is, is stuck with him for a minute. Yeah, um, I don't think I don't think they're gonna fire him in a few years. I just think that like if he coaches this way next year, in two years there are going to be UCLA fans saying fire Cronin. If UCLA flames out in the Sweet Sixteen next year, people will be disillusioned. Yeah, hundred percent they will. And and that may sound crazy to a lot of folks, especially like people who are not UCLA fans or fans of Kentucky or North Carolina or whatever, to be like a Sweet Sixteen. Like he's gone to a final four and then two sweet 16s and people are pissed about it but here's the thing uh ucla had some really high expectations coming into the season and i don't think he had to meet them and become a one seed and all that to do that but i think some i think he he got a lot of the benefit of the doubt um from what he did in the final four uh and it was fair because he got ucla to the final four his decisions were very hard to critique during the regular season because you figured he's building towards something, right? Like there's, he's playing for something to happen in March and it's going to happen. And we, I might've kind of started to believe that again. after that St. Mary's game where UCLA advanced to the sweet 16 because frankly of Cody Riley's play. Um, but it, it reverted back to what it had been all season, which was Cody Riley, not being able to defend the perimeter, not being able to score 
which is what Mick Cronin has him out there for, um, and not being able to rebound, the, the uh, something that absolutely killed UCLA in this game. So I am not going to say that Mick Cronin is going to be on the hot seat or like his seat's warming up or anything like that. But here's what I here's what I won't say. I'm not going to fucking say that he is going to be on a lifetime contract or that he's going to. I saw that David Woods tweeted. Like, he should be here as long as he wants he, to be here. He should here. be here as long as he wants to be here. I think that's fucking insane. I like. I think that's wild to me. Um, and I love David Woods. I, I've never, ha- I've never seen one of his takes where I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" But that one, I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Uh, here's why: is uh, the first year for Mick Cronin, I kind of give him a pass, and also he it ended really well. We didn't get to see what he was in the tournament. I'm gonna, I count year one as a, a, a resounding success. Year two for UCLA, I think, had higher expectations. Uh, and for a lot of that chunk of the middle season, things got really bad. Um, Cody Riley, again, played way more minutes than his backup, Jalen Hill. Again, these are not new things with Mick Cronin. Um, this is not a one-game thing for him to be issued, having issues with rotations. We saw it last year when Cody Riley played ahead of Jalen Hill. We saw it last year when Johnny Juzang was not just playing a ton of minutes, but playing a big minutes and and being asked to do a lot offensively that he had just never done before, which was scoring. Um, and so it often looked like from people who are watching these games, Johnny Juzang is just chalking shots and shooting like 30% from the floor. Um, that worked out. UCLA in the final four looked good. I think that uh, some of the issues around rotations that he has had, he had had in 2021 were masked because UCLA really did have to go to a super shallow rotation. They did not have any depth. Jalen Hill had left the program. Chris Smith, their other potential scorer, uh, had gotten injured. He was out for the year. And so behind Cody Riley um, and behind Johnny Juzang were Kenneth Nuba, Jalen Clark, a very raw, more raw Jalen Clark than we saw this year, and Jake Kaiman, who uh, struggles defensively a lot and is not always as sharp as a shooter as he, as he was kind of purported to be. So Mick Cronin, like the rotation thing just was kind of moot because there was so few players to work with. 2022 UCLA had depth all season and there was like a couple of injuries. Sure. And things that kind of kept players out of lineups, but he had options. Um, he, he could have chosen to play miles Johnson big minutes to get him ready for the tournament. Uh, he could have chosen to get Jalen Clark big minutes throughout the season to get him ready for the tournament. He could have chosen to play Peyton Watson bigger minutes. And we saw what Peyton Watson can do in the limited minutes that he gets. Uh, and so we figured maybe this is all towards, you know, these weird, crazy rotations that are, that are frankly baffling, insane. Uh, as strong, I'll go as strong as to say stupid and moronic. Uh, he just kept with it in in the tournament, and he had the options that he did. He chose to run with what was basically a six man rotation, kind of. Um, his bench guys got what twenty minutes total this game um, for a team that that we all thought was we one of the deepest in the country. That was their strength. That's a strength for them, uh, and they didn't do it. Uh, he didn't play the better players. Um, he didn't play his more athletic players. He didn't play his uh, his more disciplined players. Um. I talked about, I tweeted about this, but like it's insane to me that Mick Cronin is a defensive coach, cares, puts so much emphasis on defense, demands that he his teams defend very well, and then rolls out almost invariably offensively oriented lineups that, frankly, still are not better offensively than some of the other lineups that uh, are available to him. But he's constantly thinking about lineups with offense in mind, and it makes no fucking sense to me for a guy who who at every press conference says, no, the thing that lost us this game was defense. For that guy to roll out offensive lineups, buddy, if UCLA's defense is not working, that's that's your fucking fault. Um, so I think there just has not been enough. There's been a bit too much. Uh, he earned himself a lot of passes because of that Final Four run, um, and I think that's fair. Going to the Final Four is a major accomplishment, should be treated as such. Um, and UCLA fans, I understand people think of them as fickle, and I think, to some extent, I'm kind of being fickle right now, but at the same time, these were just insane boneheaded decisions that are not new. They're not new with Mick Cronin. So all I'll say is that, uh, no, I don't think Mick Cronin should be fired. No, I don't think that he's guaranteed his spot at UCLA for as long as he wants. No. And I think that's insane to say that. Anyway, (laughs) I just had so much to talk about this game. I couldn't get over it. Uh, and you know, we get into the postmortem of the season and it's just like, 
There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And, and we don't know what each team is going to look like next year. Like UCLA will be, be more different. talented. UCLA will UCLA, be more talented. They will have more athleticism. And I'm hoping, I'm presuming Peyton Watson's back. And hopefully when he comes back, he's a better player. He should be a better player. Regardless, if Mick Cronin plays him the same amount he played him this year, I am going to fly to Los Angeles and punch him. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, anything about UCLA or their season before we go on to Arizona? Uh, it was disappointing. Just yeah. the way it ended. Like, yeah. To lose in the Sweet 16 is whatever. It's just like I would have much rather they lost in the Sweet 16 in a way that was just like they were the worst team. Like, yeah, they they lost because the other team was better. I don't think that's why they lost, and that makes it very frustrating. Go ahead, Matt. The whole regular season was disappointing. You're a home loss away from USC of being third in the Pac-12. Like, yeah. I, I, the, the entire season was disappointing, and it was constantly written off as, but tournament, but Final Four run, but tournament, but Metcron and Genius uh, lineup tweaking, like, whatever. The only thing that matters is the tournament, and that's fine. I do, I, you should not evaluate coaches based on the tournament results, but I do think that you can look back on the season with the tournament result in mind. And I do think that, like... Arizona season was a great season regardless of finish because of everything that had gone on with the season. I think that if if UCLA had Arizona's season and really just ran the Pac-12, had a great season, and then flames out in the Sweet 16, you shrug your shoulders and you just say, yeah, variance. Like, basketball's weird. Um, and you just you can't evaluate based off of the tournament. The tournament was the opportunity to overcome a really dis- – what was a disappointing, lackluster season for them – and they didn't and and that is kind of one of those things where now you look back on it and you're like all right that that excuse is gone and it needs to be said that this was a really disappointing year Mm -hmm. so let's move on let's move on to arizona because i think uh uh i i think that their 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 two discourses and narratives are going to be intertwined i think because they're rivals because they were considered the top two teams in the pac-12 because they were the flag bearers for the conference because they're you know the Top two programs. They're the two blue bloods. Yeah, they're the two pr- big bro- programs. Uh, Arizona's not a blue blood, technically. Yes, they are. Oh, here we go. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, but let's let's talk about Arizona. So Arizona got to the Sweet 16 after surviving TCU and got beat up pretty bad by Houston, uh, 72 to 60. That game largely was Houston's um, for the vast majority of it. Arizona once again got pushed around. And bullied a little bit and uh, fell to Houston. Greg, let's start with you this time. What did you think about this game? Did you get to watch all of it? I did watch all this game. And uh, I think we saw what was Arizona's downfall in all of their losses previously. And it is they are soft. They can't handle physicality. They're surprised every time a team doesn't just let them run all over them. And it's just baffling to me that they didn't learn from that at any point throughout the season. Like, I guess when they played UCLA the second time, they were ready for it and they beat them. But, like, the next time they played a physical team, which was, I don't know, it might have been the TCU game, uh, they were surprised. Like, why? Why are you surprised this is happening? And why do you not adjust throughout the game? Because they didn't adjust throughout the game. They beat TCU because Ben Matherin is an incredible player, and he is not soft. Like, he's the only player for Arizona that I have no problem with at all. Like, he did what he could. Like, he was let down by his teammates. Uh, And then against Houston, everybody knew Houston was going to be physical with Arizona. Everybody knew it was going to be a battle. And Arizona just looked shocked that, like... (laughs) <laughs> shocked that a team wasn't just letting them beat them and it's infuriating to me because Arizona had the talent to win the national championship and they lost in the sweet 16 because they were soft and that just if I were an Arizona fan I would hate like just it would taint this season for me completely like I wouldn't be able to be happy with the Pac-12 championship both Pac-12 championships just because that's such a like 
sad way to lose. And for it to be a theme and not just a one-game thing makes it much worse. Matthew Hubertson, did you get to watch this game? And uh, do you agree that Arizona was soft? Um, Arizona was soft. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a quite a, like a small tweak to the statement. Um, Arizona is soft in, in their confidence. Um, it, yes, that they, they're definitely more of a finesse team than they go in and beat you up, but I don't even, I, I don't think they're the mentally Houston, soft. It, I don't want to say that's, mentally that's soft. That's what I meant. Not, I meant that like they, they can't handle being challenged. They don't handle yeah, adversity I, well. I, st- I don't, I'm, this is, I am going to have very much so the wrong words to actually describe this. Um, this was a, this was a home game for Houston and even the TCU game again, it's not it, look, first of all, to like very soft physically that that is soft in every way, shape and form. Um, a, a definitely a, a soft game and a soft basketball player. He was brutal. Um, there is, there is something about teams that we normally say that like they got punked where this this other team is just they they are so unbelievably confident and cocky and and full of themselves in a way that is overwhelming and that that is very much so where I think Arizona doesn't have that aspect to match that energy um it's very much so what happened in the Houston game it's very much what happened in the TCU game um homeboy doing too small to the seven foot one guys like it it is definitely a situation where they they were able to they were able to get punked and I I think that that it's really look Tabellis was one of their best players throughout the entire Pac-12 slate it is really hard to look back on the Pac-12 as we obviously know what the Pac-12 season was in that slate and really be impressed that much with what Arizona did. With that being said, though, like you're looking at a first-time head coach. You're looking at a team that entirely was transfer portal and, you know, whether that's like convincing guys to say and bringing guys in. Like it, this is so much, you can't evaluate them the same way that you evaluate UCLA in my opinion and that's I do think that because they were so good throughout the season that's something that you kind of fall into but I absolutely agree that like this it, it was tough to see them be so soft be so soft and, and get get punked in the way that and with how much Houston was obviously like playing with the crowd and um it being unbelievably confident that it it definitely showed yeah I think Arizona's physically soft I thought they were mentally soft I think they were soft uh and I think when they lose they look soft. Um, it's rare that you, that you. I have not seen in their four losses this season. They've only had four. That's still very impressive for a first year head coach, and that needs to be said. They were they were a fantastic, fun team to watch, um, and I think the future there is bright. And they're they're soft. Um, and here's here's what I think the issue is. I think there's two. Number one, um, and uh, Greg Greg. It's on record as saying that this didn't matter before Arizona's tournament run. I don't. They think had tournament no tournament experience. Was why they lost. So here, I so here, so I think they lost because they didn't have tournament experience. I think that physical and mental toughness are both things that you get. Like this level of intensity was too much for Arizona from the jump against Wright State, their 16 seed. They struggled a little too much for what I think that what the dis- talent disparity was there, and for what Wright State was. They obviously struggled against TCU. They got bullied. They got pushed. Ben Matherin lifted them from the depths of hell to win that game. And then against Houston, it was the same thing, except Houston is a much better team than TCU is. I do think tournament experience did it. I think not being able to get comfortable within that uh, level of intensity and play ugly, disgusting basketball because that's what the level of intensity is going to be strikes me as very much a, a, a thing that that tournament experience gets you. To be able to get steeled through, okay, this team, like, everyone's playing times 100 right now. You're getting everyone's best game, and they're all good teams. That's Here's one reason thing, why I think they lost. Arizona wasn't getting st- – every time it happened, they didn't grow. They didn't grow once. It was the same response every time a team did that to them. Yeah, but I think but I think not being able to re- – I don't, I don't think they ever figured out what their response was. I think Exactly. One of the, I don't, I don't I, think they were going to figure it out with more experience. Like, I just think that's who they are. That, that, that might be. I will say, here's the other thing. Um, to, to give Arizona and Tommy Lloyd some credit – Houston's not a five seed. They're not. No, um, yeah, that they team just is weren't. really good. Now they did just lose to who did they lose to? They lost Villanova. to Villanova. Villanova is a good team too. Is a, which is a great team. 
Um, yeah, Villanova but is a great team. Uh, <laughs> Houston was not a five seed. Five seed is, uh, if you're Houston doing the Houston was math, in UCLA's region, I would have been shocked if they didn't come out. Right. Houston, um, if like if you're just doing the math, a five seed means you're the number 21 to 25 team in the country, somewhere around there. Houston, by every single metric out there, was a top five team in Kempom. They were like number three in, in the net. The computers had them and the analytics had them very highly ranked. And the reason they got put as a five seed because was because they didn't have enough quad one wins, but they were beating the shit um, out of pretty much every team on their schedule um, and dominating them. So um, Houston is like, they were not, it was not, (laughs) it was a little unfair to have Arizona basically play a road game in San Antonio two hours away or whatever it is. I don't know anything about Texas because truck stops, but two hours away from home in San Antonio in a home, in a road environment for Arizona to play what was essentially like a, a actually by quality a high two low one seed that was bullshit i think they got hosed i think they got screwed so i think their their lack of experience and their softness which i think are connected combined with the fact that houston's a very was a very fucking good team and maybe wildly underseeded um is why arizona got in the situation that they're in now all to say i think that um arizona's rebounding i think that some of the adjustments that tommy lloyd could have made Basically, Houston did what TCU did to Arizona and um, and and did it much better because they have better players. They're better coached. Um, and I also think uh, Tommy Lloyd got a little a little outsmarted in this one. I don't know if you saw the quotes from Kelvin Sampson after the game. The Houston who is a coach, really good coach who is like, apparently really a very good. good coach. Yeah, um, was <laughs> he said that he was like you know I've been watching Arizona uh, and trying to scout them. He's like. I just he he was he was he was very honest and said something like, "I don't think that the Pac-12 that any of the Pac-12 teams guarded them the way that they should have been guarded." I would like did not understand why they were switching every time against Arizona and letting them get that high low action or get dunks down low. He was like, "We're not going to have them. We're going to like body them up and we're going to fight over screens. Um, and we're not going to switch everything the way that every other Pac-12 team did." I think he, I mean, he was kind of like, it was a bizarrely open, very frank analysis from Kelvin Sampson to be like, yeah, they just guarded him wrong. What were, I don't know what they were doing. Um, and that's what they did against Arizona. Hard so, to argue with him. Yeah. Given the way that he, what Houston did, holding Arizona to 60 points. Um, I don't know if that's their season low. I think it's probably pretty close. But like, wow, that Arizona team, the way that they were playing all season, um, stunning so no actually uh ucla <laughs> held them to one point fewer in their first tilt um and again kind of got out physical there but uh yeah this was a, a a brutal game for arizona i think that uh they had a ton of talent all over the roster and i'm not sure that they're going to be able to have three playable skilled seven footers um if you want to if you want like the big egregious coaching error from Tommy Lloyd that um, that uh, Mick Cronin did. I think that Azulis Tabellis got way too many minutes considering what he was looking like. Now, I think Tommy Lloyd did adjust and play him way fewer minutes, um, he, obviously. Um, but he got 23 minutes to Umar Balos 10. And I think if you flip those, Arizona, I'm not sure that they win, but it's probably a closer game. Uh, Azulis Tabellis, he was brutal again. Um, like, unplayable bad. Uh, a horrible, a horrible uh, defensive performance from him. Horrible offensively. If you want to talk about soft, like Matt said, like everything about what he was doing was soft. Going up soft um, at layups on layups on the interior. Going up soft for rebounds. Uh, he only recorded uh, five in his twenty-three minutes for someone who is, you know, a seven-footer. Um, go handling the ball soft. He had four turnovers, and it felt like every single time it was someone just tapping it out of his hands on a drive, like everything about what he was doing felt very soft to me. Um, and I don't know, maybe this is the kind of experience that he needs to come back and, and, you know, toughen up. And maybe that's what this whole Arizona team needs right now. So, uh, I have a question. Did this game and this run in general, like, you know, these, this tournament, did it change how you viewed Tommy Lloyd at all? I'm curious. Matt, you, you want to answer this one first? 
Um, is he still the just, sole architect of Gonzaga? Uh, who, who flamed out in the me? Sweet 16, by the way. Listen, it, sometimes <laughs> it's tough to teach an, an old dog new tricks. All right? Sometimes those tricks, they, they can follow you. Um, I <laughs> No, it doesn't change. I mean, this, is, this was a, a masterful job. I don't think that Arizona exclusively out-talented the Pac-12. I don't think that the way that they played, the way that they bought in and and everything like that, I, this is not something where I all of a sudden look back on the Pac-12 and say this was a dog shit conference. We kind of already know that. Um, we kind of already knew that before coming in and that there was definitely some some record padding with the bottom of the league, which, secret time, that's how conferences are supposed to work and would be where the Pac-12 would be much better in their uh, actual, like, perception is if we had some dog shit teams at the bottom in football um so no it doesn't change it at all i don't uh, look i picked arizona to win the championship just because i mean it was a homer pick i picked ucla for the final four too um i don't think that anybody saw a really dominant team out there this year i think that we are kind of seeing that right now in this tournament and so it was definitely one of those things where it's just like, yeah, I mean, they're playing as well as anybody else. So, um, no, it doesn't change that for me at all. I do not expect, I mean, this is not the next coach K by any means. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's the expectation for him. Yeah. I think that I, 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 I don't think that, uh, I feel too differently about Tommy Lloyd. I still think he's a, he's a great coach. I think to get to where they were, um, use the same players with a couple of inserts from and transfers, and then to turn them into an elite team, even through the regular season, the Pac-12 titles, uh, both the regular season and the conference tournament. Uh, yeah, I just I don't. It, it's it's year one. Um, and I'm sure Tom. This is year one, not just under Tommy Lloyd. This is Tommy Lloyd's first year as a head coach. Period. He's certainly going to learn a lot of stuff from this. Um. If we know anything about learning and players and and coaching growth, it's that year two is typically always better than year one. Now, I think Arizona might actually – Tommy Lloyd may be a better coach next year while Arizona is a worse team because Christian Coloco, probably gone. Um, He's getting a ton of draft buzz, and he should go. He looks like a lottery pick. Uh, Ben Matherin. Ben Matherin's definitely gone. Is definitely gone. He's a top five pick probably he's gonna um, be better as a pro too and he'll he be much better space. he'll be fantastic as a professional um so they're gonna lose some very talented pieces that made them so dangerous this year kirk Teresa taking on more of a role <laughs> that's, that's another <laughs> we, thing let's going talk against about him. it we'll talk about him in a minute because i because i i still want to say mm-hmm. uh before we get to that uh i also agree with tommy um the tommy lloyd thing this doesn't change how i view him as a coach i thought this year was a fantastic job by him i only have just like the minor question and it's more like a i'm going to be watching this thing going into next year i want to know if the arizona being soft thing is going to be a theme going forward with his teams or if it was just this team in particular like i'm curious just to see how that grows however i am still like just as high on tommy lloyd as i was last month I think that one of the things about the softness thing is that uh, there were times where Arizona did adjust and played tougher and played bigger. Um, Mm -hmm. That did happen this year, Um, especially after the first UCLA game where they got exposed for their toughness and then said, well, fuck it. We're going to play big now. Like now we know we have seven footers. uh, The second half of Arizona, Illinois, they adjusted mid game in that one. Yeah. And they toughened up and they got big and they played physical. Um, So we've seen them do it before, but I think it just it's not quite in their mentality yet. Like it's not ingrained in, in sort of what they do. And and frankly, when things got tough, I think that they had a hard time keeping up. Um, and when, when the games and the, and the environments just got too intense for them, but um, no, I think that's totally right. And then the Kirk Creasa thing, we can talk about that really quick. I, he had a brutal tournament. There's no lie about that. Um, he is a hit or miss player. I don't think that, <laughs> I'm still not convinced that he's a garbage player. Um, that he's a that he's a player. That, I think that he does do things for Arizona and did things for Arizona that made their offense work, and that was what was so dynamic about them. I don't think he's a great defender or anything, and he can be a liability. But I think he still kind of makes that offense work. They don't have playmakers. They don't have passers. It's just he's hurt. He can he and when 
Kirk Reese is hurt. He's uh he himself is unplayable. Um he, he plays not... the same way as healthy Kerr, except he does everything worse. <laughs> yeah. Um so you know, now Justin Kyer, not much better. Uh in fact, I don't know. I may take a a, a hurt Kirk Kreese over a I healthy Justin Kyer because he was not great. Pella Larson is the guy that's gotta yes. step up. Yeah. And I'm I'm expecting next year, I think, assuming that uh both of them come back i'm expecting pella larson to supplant kerr i think he like another year i think he'll be better because i just think he is uh less of a wild card he'll make less bad decisions you know even if his highs aren't quite as high as kerr's yeah but i i agree with you i've i mean this whole year i've been higher on kerr than i think everybody else uh like i think he made arizona better for most of the year it's just uh Definitely did not make Arizona no. better while he was playing with like one of the most disgusting looking ankles. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen yeah. The picture that of that picture was disgusting. Is is there an aspect to the um the the three point chucking that you think plays into the softness of the team? Uh, I don't think so. I think a lot of the idea of uh, jump shooting being equated to softness, I think has a lot to do with the uh, get-off-my-lawn old heads. <laughs> That's true. Who talk about back in my day, you know, we didn't do this, that's soft. Uh, I don't think that's totally true. I think Ben Matherin loves to shoot jumpers. He shoots a ton of them. He was unquestionably tough. Like, no matter what happened with Arizona, he was always fighting. I think Kirk Kreese shooting jumpers is just him being very stupid. Like, he just shot because well, he and that's he's way that's kind of thing, is. right? Like, I feel like when, and especially and in, especially in this game with Houston, like I felt like there were several times where if Matherin was going for it, definitely had some wild ones, but it was very much so him trying to get to a spot and and playing within the offense. Whereas I felt like with Kirkrisa, there was situations where it was like, ah, post entry pass not quite there. Let me pass it and seventeen or or something like that on the shot clock and curse crease is like yep let's 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 do it um and i think that there's an aspect of that that kind of throws them out of their rhythm and and especially oh, when you're talking I about like a mean. softness yeah, yeah the, the way that we're talking about a softness with tubelis it is quite literally like just getting boxed out and getting pushed out of out of you know your spots and out of your post play with the rest of the team though it's about like no go down there and answer and and have something that you're trying to do move with purpose run your offense and and have confidence in what you're doing and i feel like kirk Risa interrupts that a lot i think that's a really really good point i hadn't considered that at all but it makes a lot of sense it's a lot harder to play your game when your floor general is actively making it harder to play your game that's a really yeah. good point and i think yeah i mean i think the, the settling for jump shots over trying to work work inside and attack and get into the interior is Certainly one aspect of maybe being a little afraid to get down there and get dirty. But Arizona did a good job of generating free throws most of this year. Yeah, they had. Um, and in this game, did fine. I think it looks like they had 23, uh, 23 it, it free throws. It was even versus Houston's 25. The rebounds were pretty even. Assess were even. Like the it. one thing that I'm pulling out here, though, is that uh, to, your, to your point, um, Matt, is that uh, 22 of Arizona's 54 shots were from three. That's 41%. Their season average was 34%. Um, so they were shooting more threes. And this is how they lost against UCLA uh, in the first time that they played them in January, um, was that they settled for threes and they weren't attacking inside. Um, and that's kind of, maybe that's what happens to Arizona when they get pushed around and don't know how to respond is they start taking jump shots um and and frankly jump shooting is ucla's thing it's not arizona's thing arizona's thing is like we got two seven footers and we're gonna figure out how to get it inside them you're gonna have to foul the fuck out of us or you're gonna have to let us dunk it like you choose and they didn't do that um so and they did something similar from those two games the first ucla game and the houston game is uh, tubelis being a non-factor in the first ucla game it was because he was hurt yes and so he just couldn't play uh, and because of that, I think that was a huge reason Arizona shot so many threes. Tubelis was back for the next UCLA game, and they went inside way more. Yeah. And so if Tubelis wasn't a non like, 
maybe Tubalos was more more important to this team than I gave him credit for. And so him just checking out mentally hurt them a lot just because posted like those passes to Debellis where he would get like just a nice layup, nice backdoor cut or something like that. It just felt so easy the whole year for Arizona. And so when that disappears, that's a huge chunk of their offense that just disappears. Maybe that just like was really, really hard for them to overcome. Yeah. No, I think that was that was certainly a part of it. So um, despite our Tubella that, and slander, that's not maybe we weren't that, slandering him hard enough. And that's not something that Balo can replace, right? Like, that's oh yeah, he's just, a completely that's different not player. Not just a switch. Yeah, so. he's a he's a big guy. he he's more he plays the way he plays is more Christian Coloco than Julius Tabellas. Yeah, um, yeah, in an incredibly like physical game and against a team that loves them a foul whistle. Um, yeah, only two free throws and only one foul against is is pretty damning for for Tabellas. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's Arizona season. I have a couple of questions to get you all uh to get you all out of here. Um first between UCLA and Arizona, if you saw how their seasons went, whose season would you rather have? Matt. Oh, Arizona, Arizona. no question. Okay. So, getting the dominant season and uh maybe flaming out of, but sort of having those highs the way that they did with the conference tournament. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I think I'd also rather have Arizona season although you know you know do you want to do you like is it better to say well our team was just soft or our head coach just was too stubborn I don't know um well, I think it's like Arizona overperformed this year just the preseason expectations at the very right. least yeah whereas UCLA had like final four aspirations from the beginning and didn't get there like those final four aspirations for Arizona came later and I think it's easier to get over missing out on that kind of expectation if it's a little bit newer than it is if you're UCLA and it's like the whole year, this is what you've been building up to, this is what you've wanted since last year. Uh, Also, it's year one for Arizona. And so it's like you feel like more growth is coming than you would with UCLA in year, I'm forgetting, of Mick Cronin. Yeah, three. three. So would you rather have... actually. it's actually kind of funny how many similarities there are between these two teams in this season and wildly different last... teams. And yet, <laughs> yeah, well, but no, I'm saying like these, the, the, the storyline of these two teams and last season's football season with Utah and Utah and Oregon. Oh, Oregon. oh, I see. That's interesting. <laughs> that is like, you kind of feel like Utah over, uh, overcame expectations and overperformed. You feel like Oregon really underperformed. You feel like Oregon had talent coming back that really underperformed a la, Johnny Juzang this season, kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think UCLA had a better season than Oregon did in football, but you know, I I, I think that that I think the comparison, I, I see what you're going with there, and I think it makes sense. Um, okay, well, uh, another question here: Would you rather have Tommy Lloyd or Mick Cronin right now? Tommy Lloyd. Ooh, I don't think. I, oh man, this is gonna really test my my soul architect of, of Gonzaga. <laughs> um, metal um i i really like the recruiting class that cronin brought in that's a good Um, point and cronin's recruiting is pretty good just slightly more proven i i it's probably cronin right now as i say that he should be on the hot seat at the end look at what he did with his last five star (laughs) with peyton watson he just didn't use him for a year whereas right yeah like tommy lloyd brought in talent like maybe not high school talent in that first year but like dale and terry is going to be a first-round pick. Ben Matherin, while he didn't bring Ben Matherin in, he improved him a lot. He's going to be a first-round pick. Christian Coloco improved a ton. Pella Larson is a good player that he recruited from Utah. Like, I, I think Tommy Lloyd is going to be good at the talent acquisition aspect of the job, too. And he recruited great at Gonzaga, too. Uh, can, I, can I say Mick Cronin in athleisure wear? Oh, Can I say that Mick Cronin? Maybe. I want that Mick Cronin. Yeah. Yeah, God, God, yeah. Final fours for suited McCronin zero. Final fours for athleisure McCronin one. Uh, yeah, I I think this is hard. I mean, I, I so here's the thing is that uh, if 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 Tommy Lloyd is like a, a a version of Mark Few or whatever, you know, we can debate about Soul Architect stuff. Uh, Gonzaga, I don't know Gonzaga. That Gonzaga can be soft sometimes. Um. And how much of that is baked into what Tommy Lloyd has been doing for the past 20 years and what he is as a head coach now? I don't know. I don't think this Gonzaga team was soft. 
I don't think that's why they lost. I well, okay. I mean, I didn't follow Gonzaga this year, but they looked soft in that game against Arkansas. Um, I think that was a big part of it. But I guess Chet Chet Holmgren getting like three fouls. Like in the Chet foul. Holmgren looks soft just because he's thin. Yeah, yeah. He's not. I a don't soft think player. he's soft. Yeah, like yeah. he fights. He just yeah. <laughs> he's a stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So I don't know. I think. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to do with the talent acquisition thing as a recruiter. Right now, Arizona, for their 2022 class, only has one commit, um, a center um, who's a four-star, kind of a lowish four-star, while UCLA has uh, the number one player, a number two player in the class, and the number 16 player in the class. um, That's Larry Bailey and the center, Adam Bona. I can't remember the center's name. Yeah, Adam Bona. Adam Bona, I can't um and also have uh they have dylan andrews a, a point guard um and the number 39 player in that class it looks like tommy lloyd's probably gone more transfer heavy then it might be um i'm gonna say i'm just gonna say mick cronin because he's been to a final four but i'm not yeah. tied to that at all i don't um, think it's like i i said tommy lloyd with no hesitation i don't think it is a big gap uh like if if Mick Cronin overperforms Tommy Lloyd over the next three years, I'm not going to be very surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, I just love the transformation he did to Arizona so much oh, yeah. Yeah. that like I'm fully bought in. It's a fun. It's a fun team. They're the most yeah, fun, it's a team fun team in the Pac-12. Team, whereas Sean Miller was just like thief yeah. of joy. Yeah. Also, suit wear. I'm just saying, get <laughs> get the egg in a goddamn quarter zip. I think True. that's the move. Yeah, both of them are very likable, though. Also, I will say they're both very like frank, open coaches that aren't just weird, and they're both very personable coaches that I just really enjoy listening to. So it's gonna be fun having them in the Pac-12, and hopefully they figure their shit out, um, and these teams figure their stuff out. All right, uh, the, let's the slander uh, of of no mention of whether or not you would rather have Oregon State season is is unbecoming to say the least. I honestly, I'd rather have Oregon State season. Uh, imagine just like you can check out for the entire season and it, did, it doesn't matter. You just oh, they got to stop watching basketball in something February. As, let me tell you something as a Utah fan, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you had year one, Craig Smith. Like you know, maybe I don't know. We, we're on year seven of this. <laughs> Uh, anyway, all right, so uh, it's time to go, except one more thing. Let's do a little truck stop discourse. All right, well, uh, we know who is uh, half of the Final Four um, field is. Uh, by t- When people listen to this tomorrow or whenever it is I post this, we'll know the full four, uh, four slate, but uh, St. Peter's uh, again defying all expectations and odds why are they in truck stop discourse this Uh, isn't they're not a truck stop uh uh, i've got a i've got a little i've got a little clip here that i'd love to play for you all i just want you to i'd like to greg uh this is about the um the saint peter's playing purdue and uh greg greg had some greg had some greg had some uh some predictions let's let's hear back on them edited video didn't happen they beat kentucky a two seed um, and then went and beat who was oh Murray, Murray State, State. Uh, the seventh seed. So they're going to the Sweet Sixteen. I don't know who they get next. Do you all know? I can't remember. I like Peters. Up. They're playing Purdue. Oh, that is well. They who had cares? a good run. Who cares? <laughs> it is tough. Corn, <laughs> corn Hard fed, to beat. Corn fed kids. Seven foot four guy plus Jaden Ivy. Both of those guys sucked. <laughs> <laughs> What do you have to Jay say for yourself, Craig? Had one of his worst games of the season, and Zach Eady was unplayable. That was... Big Ten extreme frauds. We, we've been new. I, yeah, I should have known. I should have known. Never put faith in a Big Ten team. That's my bad. I will learn from this. I will I grow. Told you. <laughs> I told you. We told you. Uh, anyway, are you all uh, rooting for St. Peter's to get to the Final Four? Do you give a shit? Are you going to be watching any more basketball? I think I'm done. I'm done. I'm not watching anything. Okay, first of uh, all, you're a liar. I'm Second not. All, I'm not. I'm not watching anything. There's no Pac-12 teams. I don't care. I don't care. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Yep. Yeah, hell no, I'm not watching it. Are you kidding me? I'll watch if St. Peter's plays Duke in the Final Four, but like... Mm-mm, I don't nah, need 80 billion shots of Coach K. You watching wife. North Carolina, St. Peter's then? Uh, I have work, so no. 
Uh, yeah, we'll see. I I'm not watching anything. I truly am not. Um, I'm, I might actually watch Washington State's NIT games. Okay, uh, you're so disgusting. There, like, they own. How do you how do you stand that? Like, <laughs> how do you put I know yourself the, because I know that. the players and I know the teams. Like, I don't. It's it feels weird. I'm like I don't know who's on. Duke. It's the NIT. Paolo, why? Uh, what's his it's name? Like Bajero, watching... whatever. I just don't understand it. It's it's. I just know the players. I know the team. Props to you though. Like this is like <laughs> even more sicko behavior than the people who watched the entirety of the Cal USC game, uh, the U- it, Cal USC football game yes. that was scheduled okay. so that they could compete for bowl eligibility. Except neither of those teams were going to be bowl eligible, so it was pointless <laughs> on championship weekend. Like, this so is even more sicko than that. I was trying to remember if I watched that or not. <laughs> yeah, we I didn't probably watch that. did. We probably did. We forgot did. to talk that. about it on the Oh, podcast. yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. We didn't even talk about it. Insane stuff. <sighs> yeah, no, I'm, I'll be pouring over Lewis Hamilton fighting his car. <laughs> well, I'm going to go He's out and touch grass and be with friends. Um, anyway, whatever. Vroom Vroom Discourse. It's not. Let's save it for another podcast. All right. Uh, anyway, anything else? Should we just get out of here? Get you all to bed? It's late. It's 11, 11 Pacific, 12 uh, midnight on the central in the mountains. Let it be known that I successfully held the first family gathering uh, post-divorce. Uh, not a single family uh, incident, as it were. So wait, so, hold on. So, okay, to be clear, you're, you're not divorced. Unfortunately. Um <laughs> So uh, you got your your Damn parents. Your parents getting to, lost in the mail. Parents got um, parents, get, <laughs> parents got together then. Yeah. Okay. And it was all civil. I mean, I guess I don't know. I, I very. I have a big yard. Um, <laughs> and I was on the other side. <laughs> Good. Good. That's how it should be. That's how it should it's be. A long ways away. All right. <laughs> well, that will do it for us. Thank you for listening. For Greg at Banana Morphs and Matthew Hubertson at Matt Nyber, I'm Carlos at Equity Bruin. We've really appreciated you joining us. We will have our season finale next week just to recap the Pac-12 football and basketball seasons, to talk a bunch of shit. We'll have grapes back on. But uh, until then, remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even sports. Fuck out of here, basketball. Still and thick with smoke So thick it makes you choke The crowd vibes in The cup is kicking And my patience are wearing thin Said I'm lonelier Than a single sex on a quiet